there, and welcome back to the second half of our new teacher talk about student assessment with Erin Seitz and Adam Larson. Erin, what advice do you have for new teachers about developing assessments that are connected to their learning objectives? It, this is a challenge for, for new teachers, and it's a challenge for teachers in general. But I think continuing to ask why of the learning objectives is going to point us at a larger, more dynamic objective that our assessments can do a better job pointing to. In sports, you know, a team will will have drills and the drills are very skill based, right? Very focused. They're just there to tweak one aspect of the game. And then the coach will put the athletes into a scrimmage, which is a still controlled environment, but a known quantity, right? You know the players that you're playing against and the job of that, the, the scrimmage, is to apply the drill to a game-like environment. But there's really nothing at stake, right? It's a scrimmage. The coach can blow the whistle and we can reflect on what's going on. But that is in service to a larger goal, which is the game. Two things about the game. One, it's a culmination of the drills, the scrimmage, but also it is an unknown quantity. You don't know what the other players have been doing to train for this game. You may know them, you may have scouted them, but it is truly a brand new cold environment where you have to take everything you've learned and really put it in the moment. And the cool thing about that is there's something at stake. Your desire to do well is at stake. Something's on the line. Let's bring that back now to school and ask if we're doing the same thing. Do we have drills? Of course, we drill certain skills. Do we have scrimmages? Yeah, I think we do, where we have controlled environments where students can practice those skills. But is anything at stake? What we say is, well, what's at stake is your grade. Well, why? Well, because you're going to need good grades to graduate. Well, why? And I don't think we've done a good job answering why our learning objectives matter. We do a good job articulating what we want students to know and be able to do, and then we backwards design from there, but we don't really do a good job of articulating why students should know and be able to do that. And if students know that why, and they have buy into that why, then the question becomes, what assessment can you make? This couldn't happen a lot or all the time, but what assessment can you make that has stakes to it beyond and outside of the walls of the school? I'm going to say the, the authentic word again, something that is authentic, something that is applied, something that is active. So when I taught entrepreneurship, the students started businesses that could fail. They played with actual money. They took orders. They spent money. Many of them ended in, in failure, like in economic failure. They didn't get Fs for the year, but that was to test all of the entrepreneurial skills and scrimmages and simulations that we had done in class in the market, in the global market. Win or lose the game. It's still an assessment of, can you apply these skills into an environment that is the most analogous to when it will matter most. And so the challenge for new teachers is not to do that, right? Not to say, I'm gonna walk in in the first year and create this really community-driven, epic, networked um, assessment and just drop it and I'll do that weekly. Like that's not reasonable. But to continue to ask the question of your department, of your team, of your school, okay, here's what we're pointing at, but for what, for why? And ask the students, why are we doing this? Why does it matter? And then once we have the answer and we agree on the answer to that, how can we point the assessments towards those? There's definitely more strategies that we could talk about down the line of, of how to get there in a practical manner. Let's go with that, Erin. 
you've talked about practical strategies. You've been recognized by the state and by other entities for your excellent work in the classroom, really cutting edge in what you've done with students. Let's talk about your favorite assessment tools that you have used with students and why they have been some of your favorite. I think if the teacher is the coach of the team, that the assessment comes from an independent source. I love an evaluation panel made up of experts in that field or adults in that field or people in that field who can look at the work of the student outside of the context of the classroom. For example, I had students do a budgeting project. They would turn in the budgeting project and, and I, would, I would check their work and I would assign a grade, of course. They had to defend their working budget to someone in their family, someone in their close family, someone outside of their family that they knew, so like acquaintance or an, an aunt and uncle or something like outside of their immediate family, and then a teacher who has been through life. And they had to defend that. And I fully expected those adults to say, hey, cool, good project, love the color coding, but you forgot an electric bill. What are you thinking? You will not have electricity in this current model. And that kind of feedback, when it comes from a supportive yet independent source is thousand times more valuable than me saying, hey, uh, you missed the electric bill, minus one. They're like, I don't really care. I still got an A. But when a teacher says your budget as stated is not realistic, or a parent says, son, daughter, this is not what our life is like. Let's take a look at really what's going on. Anytime we can get the evaluator to be someone external, it validates the work that we're being done because it ties it to the outside world again. And it becomes more, I think the feedback becomes more impactful to the student than the teacher who is by this time in the year, they're tired of us. Like they, they hear from us all the time. They want to hear a new voice. They want to ping it. They want to triangulate. So let's let them triangulate their successes or their struggles against other people. I like the fact that when students have to go and talk with other people, that discourse is obviously a form of feedback, but it's also helpful because they're learning to interact with others, which is a lifelong skill, right? Could be somebody in their family, immediately outside their family, as you mentioned, a teacher. That can be pretty powerful for students because just that ability to talk with somebody to justify or defend, if you wish to use that verb can have a pretty strong impact. I thought your comment was so well said when you mentioned, well, the teacher said, ah, you missed the electricity, that's minus one, but you still got the A. And they just move on to the next assessment, right? The next whatever is coming down the pike. But this gives it some authenticity. I've had the nice opportunity to have been on some of these panels that Aaron was talking about. I've given feedback to students on their plans and their ideas and things they've created. I've been the person to say, like, you forgot this thing, or this isn't going to work, or as somebody with experience in this area, this is not going to work, or this is going to work really well. Or have you thought about a lot of those questions I remember asking, have you thought about this? You know, you talked about this in kind of a bubble. It's still, it's a classroom that's got cool stuff going on, but it is still a bubble. Did you guys think about this? Did you talk about this? Talk to us about your contributions to the book. What did you write about? How can new teachers use the website resource you created? Erin? My contribution to the book has to do with this tension that a new teacher feels between wanting to keep records and remember all the things that happened in that day that just occurred and also wanting to prep for the future. And a lot of times what happens with a new teacher is that critical reflection takes a backseat to future planning just out of necessity. As a new teacher, um, I struggled with this myself. And so I came up with a system that just colloquially called ultra notes. 
And what I'd ask students to do is imagine that uh, whether or not there was an absent student that day, one student from the class would be responsible for really sort of giving a narrative description of what happened in that class, collecting any resources, but then more importantly, giving their analysis of how that class went. So not only the nuts and bolts, but also some sort of like reaction to it or evaluation of it. On a practical level, if there was an absent student, this becomes an accountability for that student who walks in. I don't have to have those notes. I can simply say, you know, so-and-so was responsible for the ultra notes yesterday and you can talk with him or her and they'll help you get it sorted out. More importantly, from a teacher reflection perspective, I got a collection of really valuable feedback from students. I could look through a week's worth of these notes and really get a sense of what landed, what didn't land, what seemed to make sense and with what was misunderstood. And I could do that without that pressure of an assessment attached to it because students weren't being assessed on whether or not they liked it or whether or not they understood it. Um, it was just simply they were helping out that day. And then from the student's point of view, I think it's one step in the right direction for a student agency, which is just to say that you aren't simply receiving the information as a student. You also have a hand in collectively making sure that our class is moving in the right direction and your evaluation is taken into consideration. You know, if this class fell flat and that's your reaction, you have the opportunity to say that. And then that's going to be read by the teacher. That's my contribution to the book. Any new teacher, whether or not they use this exact resource, should definitely take the larger lesson, which is don't skip on the critical reflection piece and only focus on the planning piece because the critical reflection piece is where you'll be thanking yourself in year two and year three. I know that you are a high school teacher, but could you offer some thoughts about how this might be used with younger students as well who couldn't necessarily take those careful notes? Even if they're not writing those notes, the point is more to have one person feel really responsible for understanding the lesson in a way that, that has accountability for the next day. So if this were a uh, primary class, we would simply say like, hey, you know, you're the person today who's responsible for collecting this information, collect any handouts that might have been given and put them in this folder, really have eagle eyes and pay sharp attention, owl ears to hear everything that happened. Don't just look at the teacher, but also look at the other students, you know, what's going on in the class. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to ask you how it went today. And I'm going to ask you to be the person that when our absent students come back, I'm going to ask them to go to you. You're really important today. So again, it has that student agency piece. And even if it's not written and you debrief with that student at the end of the class, you still get her understanding of how the class went in a different way than if you were just sort of scanning with your eyes. I could definitely see the students feel very confident about taking on that role. And therefore, after that, becoming more engaged in the classroom itself. So it works in more than one way. Adam, tell us about your contribution to the book. As a data and assessment professional, I do a fair amount of training of other school leaders. Uh, so people like me, you know, assessment people, data people, student information system people, and also some principals. I don't do a lot of like training and PD around this for teachers. And so the mindset I put myself in when writing this was, what if you work in a district where somebody like me doesn't exist? 
What happens if you don't have somebody organizing your data and shading it and filtering it and explaining those things? Like, how do you get yourself literate as a teacher when there is no assessment director, when there is no data coordinator who is facilitating that work for you? Some of the, the tips I gave to a new teacher would be like, the data may be a mess. You may be asked to come into a data meeting and talk about your students and they've done no work. Nobody did any work to prepare this. What do you do to get yourself better? To have like a functional meeting talking about kids and data. Some of the tips were like, you know, make sure you understand the data, make sure you actually know what we're talking about. What are uh, scaled scores? What are percentile scores? What do the kids do when they took this assessment? Because the assessment might not even been something they did in their room. They may have gone somewhere and done it. Just understand what is actually in that data. And if you need to go ahead and organize it, and that means like, you know, pull just your kids out of the spreadsheet that you were sent or log into the assessment system and download something and have it printed out in your hand so that you can talk about your kids more intelligently when you're asked and then be ready to take action. You're probably going to be asked to have ideas about what interventions kids need or what are we going to do to remediate the skill deficits that we've identified in this assessment. And if you're not being asked that, then the meeting is pointless anyway. So um, if, if that isn't happening, feel free to challenge it. Why are we here? Are we just talking about data to talk about it so we feel good or are we turning this into action? Because if we're not turning it into action, I don't understand what we're doing here. And you know, like I, I'm ready to do something with these students if they're missing some of these skills. As far as the like online tools that I prepared as part of the resources for this book, nobody knows Excel. It's a little bit of coaching on like, you may have never used this tool before, except for doing some nice borders on a document once. So like, here's some basic formulas, know how to sum and take an average, know how to use conditional formatting to draw your eyes to specific cells in a spreadsheet, like in a heat map. Here is how to do a little bit of VLOOKUP, like if you might have scores that are in a different sheet that you need to be able to pull into a first sheet so that you have everything blended together. I think data blending, the lack of it, is one of the biggest challenges we have in ed data is that things are in all these different silos. I, all I teach on all the time is breaking down silos. Uh, make sure that everything is all in one view so that you can look at it and not have to flip because you, you lose track of where you are if you have to jump around. So really encourage people to build tools to support that work so those meetings are the most efficient they can be. Sit down, talk about kids, get out and do the thing. Those meetings should not take long. Whatever barriers you can knock down to, to getting to the work is what's important. So Adam, would you encourage teacher education programs to spend a bit more time on encouraging potential teachers to have more opportunities to learn how to use data and how to manipulate data? I think in the 21st century, every preparation program for anything that anybody does should be preparing people to manipulate and understand data. Everyone ought to be able to go, oh, I can take this CSV and import that into Excel and I can apply a filter and I can just find the kids from my homeroom. Everyone should be able to do that from beginning teachers to on their way out the door for retirement. Everyone should be at least that literate so that they're not just fumbling through these activities. This is an expectation. It's, it's the floor for any professional in any setting in this century. I think everyone ought to be able to do the, at least the basics. Analytics have become such an important part of every business situation everywhere. So teachers need to get on board. I also think that data visualization is equally important in today's times for new teachers as well as veteran teachers. Erin, if you could only give one tidbit of information to new teachers about this topic, what would you say? I think we're missing one essential question when we design assessments and curriculum. We currently ask, what do we want students to know and be able to do? 
And inherent in that question is holding the student experience at arm's length. What do we want them to know? What do we want them to know and be able to do? I would add the question, what will students experience in this assessment? What will they experience as a result of this curriculum? In design and engineering, we focus entirely on the user. What will the user go through? And we iterate our products so that the user experience matches the outcome that the product is supposed to have. Not so in assessment, not so in curriculum. So I think for a new teacher, if you've got the what do we know and what do we want students to know and be able to do locked down, but what students are experiencing is demotivating or distracting or not aligned, then there's room to experiment. There's room to think outside of the traditional forms of assessment. And there's ways to ask better questions about how do we get to that outcome? And what can we do to, to have students experience something that is invigorating and exciting and challenging, applicable and transferable? And if we can match the visit with no one be able to do, then I think we're really on the way to shifting what the potential of education in, in the 21st century can be. What advice then, Aaron, would you give to a new teacher who is potentially walking into a very traditional school setting where they are given the curriculum guide and the approved assessments? How do they address that? That's a really complex question and a great question. And Adam had brought up earlier in our discussion the sort of social dynamics at play as a new teacher. You come in with your own ideas which are valuable and you need to bring those out, but you're also a team member and you're coming into an existing team. And so, you, you know, being aware of those dynamics as well. But I don't think that what I'm suggesting means to throw out completely the curriculum and start from scratch. It just means to have an eye to use the lens of student experience in that curriculum. So if you are locked into a certain assessment, I would hope and pray that you're not locked into a daily agenda with such rigidity that you have no room to maneuver. So given the room that you have to maneuver, what experiences can you create for students that lead to those outcomes that are different than butts in seats, you know, passive reception of knowledge? How can you challenge some of those traditional, conventional, and arguably outdated modes of information accessing? And how can we make experiences that are more in line with the world that students will enter when they leave our school? That was sort of a non-answer. It's tricky, but it's essential. I appreciate your response. Assessment is about student experience, not by us making that decision, but by engaging them in the experience asking them about the experience and truly authentically thinking about what they will do after they leave school. What is the world that they're walking into? Will they have the needed tools to be highly successful in today's society? Adam, what about you? Let's boil it down. If you had that one bit of advice, one thing you could say to a new teacher about assessment, what would it be? I want to give a simple answer that can be applied both at the most like basic level, but also up to this pretty heady discussion that we just had with Aaron about really disrupting everything. And that's intentionality. I really feel like I see a lot of assessment that is unintentional. 
It occurs because it was designed before, or I adopted something from my cooperating teacher when I was student teaching. I grabbed some stuff from the textbook and I threw it together two days before I gave the assessment to the kids. And then I didn't really like the data that I got back. That is on you. We've talked multiple times in this discussion about designing with the end in mind and whether that is skill and standard based or that is experience based, it doesn't matter. You design with something in mind and you work backwards very intentionally. You build the assessment accordingly and then you work backwards with what the experiences you want the kids to be leading up to that assessment so that they're prepared for that assessment. The test isn't the goal. The test is the measure of how well that has been taught and the students have learned to do that thing. But I see a lot of like, gave the assessment, I got some data back, I'm not really sure what to do. If the assessment were well designed, that can be a bubble sheet. That can be a portfolio. That can be an interview. It doesn't matter what the assessment is, but I got the data back and I'm not really sure what it tells me. It's probably a lack of intentionality in it, in it being designed. You intended to gather information that was going to tell you what to do next or what to do differently next time when you teach the same thing. And if you aren't getting that kind of data, then it wasn't designed in such a way. It can come down to you taught three standards in this unit. You only assessed one of them and didn't realize it until you got the data back. And you only had scores on one standard that can also be, I don't really know like the depth to which the kids understand this thing that we talked about. Then you probably asked a lot of shallow questions. I'm not really sure they'll be able to do this independently once they're out of this class. Did you ask them to demonstrate that to you independently when they were in the class? The lack of intentionality is what causes the lack of good data to be in your hands. That can be as, as low level or as high level as you want that to be. If what you get out of it isn't what you expected, I don't think you designed it in such a way that it's it's actually aligned with that outcome that you wanted. Assessment and intentionality, those two words go together. Like when Aaron talked about assessment and experience, it's not just a test at the end of the unit or some kind of paper they have to write and turn in or some portfolio that they're creating. You know, it has to be, you have to be intentional about it. If we're not intentional about the work that we do, we're just giving them a patchwork of experiences throughout the day. Adam, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you to find out more about intentionality or using data in their own understanding of their students' assessment, how could they get in touch with you? best way is probably to tag me in a discussion on Twitter because I'll get pulled in right away. So my Twitter handle is A-P-L-A-R-S-E-N, A-P Larson. Actually, Aaron's active on Twitter too. He and I go back and forth every now and again, which is really enjoyable. My email address also is A-L-A-R-S-E-N at O-C-U-S-D.net. That's Oregon Community Unit School District.net. Thank you, Adam. And Aaron, where can we find you so that we can see these conversations between you and Adam on Twitter? Listen, if you're a new teacher and you're not on Twitter, you are missing out on a lot of really great people and ideas and conversations. So first, join Twitter. And if you haven't joined Twitter, do that. And then second, I'm Aaron Seitz. So first name, last name, A-A-R-O-N-S-I-T-Z-E. Just like Adam said, tag us or my DMs are open. Happy to have conversations about education. That's what I do for a living and it's my passion and you're not bothering me if you say, hey, I, I heard what you said and I'd like to speak more about that. I love that kind of stuff. Thank you so much, Aaron and Adam. 
Thank you, audience, for spending time with us. Thank you, panelists, for your time and your talents. And for our audience members, we appreciate you listening to these podcasts, and we hope you'll become a regular follower. So make sure you hit the follow button. You can also share feedback with us about this podcast or topics you want to hear about by going one of two places. You can go to our email at the new teachers guide at gmail.com. Again, that's the new teachers guide at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, newteachersguide.org, or we've been talking about Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. You can DM us at newteachertalk1 and know that the last Monday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m., we have a new teacher talk. Twitter chat based on topics that people are tagged to be our presenters. You've already heard that both Adam and Aaron are regular Twitter users, and a lot of other authors on our book are the same. So we'd love to have you join our Twitter chats. Again, it's the last Monday of every month. And remember, as a new teacher, we are here to help you. Mm -hmm.